don't know the power of the dark side. I'm not a baby, I'm a man. I am an anchor man. Is this a kissing book? The way I see it, if you're going to build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? Hello and welcome along to Just Like In The Movies, our Film Flash special of 2020. And this morning we are looking back on the two movies which opened the 32nd Galway Film Flash. And I'm delighted to be joined again by my favourite film reviewers of all time, Lisa Tracy. Good evening or good morning, Gary Kelly. <laughs> one, one doesn't know what time it is really. I know, that's what the flower does to you. And good morning, Dave. Good morning, Gary. morning, Lisa. How are you all? Good. Tired. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's start off with the opening movie of the 32nd Galway Film Fla called The Eighth. And uh, it basically is a documentary which traces Ireland's campaign to remove the Eighth Amendment, a constitutional ban on abortion. And it shows a country's transformation from what could be considered a conservative state to a more liberal, secular society. It's, uh, it's directed by three ladies, Maeve O'Boyle, Lucy Kennedy, and Aideen Kane. And uh, certainly any movie which opens up the film flat always, I think, sets a tone for the festival and uh, even possibly the mood of the nation right now. We'll have plenty of COVID-19 documentaries, I'm sure, next year. But <laughs> Lisa, we'll start with you. What did you make of The Eighth, the opening movie of The Flower? I really thought it was an excellent film. Um, I think it's, it's, it, it represented a, a very, very important time in our lives in this country. Um, they did it really well. Some people I watched it with said maybe they didn't show enough of the uh, the No campaign. But I definitely think they were... Um, you know, it's, it needed to be done. It's like, it's a very cathartic film. Like, I didn't think it would, like, affect me as much as it did, but um, it really did. And by the end of it, I was just, I was blown away because there's just so much, um, so much emotion in it that you just, it just kind of, it nearly sneaks up on you. Yeah, I just, I thought they did a really good job. I was, I was there fighting with them the whole way. So I was really, um, I was, I delighted with the film. I thought there's excellent representation. Dave, I suppose from the outset, we kind of had an idea that this documentary was taking the angle of pro-choice. Yeah, I mean, this documentary makes no bones about its position. I mean, in terms of balance, I think just as a, you know, as a documentary, it it leans towards, uh, you know, the results that we, we got in reality. And that's kind of evident. But I think it's very hard to tell a story like this and not show your cards, you know, show your position on it. Mm. And it kind of follows the lady, I forget her name, the lady who was the kind of spearhead of the movement. Yeah, Alice um, Smith. That's right, yeah. And she, you know, it kind of follows her. She's almost like our lead protagonist, almost. And obviously, everybody has their own personal views on the Eighth Amendment, whether it's good or bad. But, you know, my personal, uh, my personal choice on it would be choice so i'm i was very happy with the result myself uh, but there are people out there who would be still hurting you know from this result because you know one thing about ireland is we respect each other's opinions and um you gotta respect the fact that there's gonna be people out there who don't want to watch this film because it reminds them of a difficult time in in irish politics but as a documentary it was well made the pacing was good the building up to the event was good. I mean, I personally felt there was a little bit of repetition. They could have moved on to the next kind of chapter or, or subject matter a little bit sooner. For example, when they got to the X case, historical, you know, 
given the X case mm-hmm. context, I thought that could have come, you know, 10 or 15 minutes earlier for me personally as a documentary structure. Mm-hmm. But well made, simply shot, as in when I say simply shot, I mean, you know, simple, clean, told the story well, uh, the little uh, little tropes and the little milly stories between it and introducing all the various uh, people in it were, was quite well done. And um, as you said, Gary, if we had seen this in normal flat times, uh, I think the impact would have been much higher and there would have been quite a heated amount of discussion over a, a, a nice uh, black and white pint afterwards, I think. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the more frustrating things watching this documentary is it takes you on such an emotional roller coaster. You've different emotions throughout, uh, whether it's contentness, whether it's anger, and you want to go into a debate and a discussion straight away while it's on, but you can't. You have to just sit back and watch the movie. But one thing that I was a little bit confused on was th- there were parts in the documentary where I felt we were about to find out a little bit more about one of the main characters in it. And then it, it just it didn't go anywhere. So, for example, you know, there was a bit where Alva Smith, the veteran campaigner, was talking about anorexia when she was young. And I thought it was going to take us somewhere. But then that was it. We didn't hear from it again. Yeah. Yeah. And there was little moments like that where I thought, which is important to to really get to know the characters, you know, the, the people telling the story. And there were moments like that, but then they just fizzled out so quickly again. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's true. And But on the flip side of that, there was a couple of moments that I genuinely thought were, contrary to that, were blended really, really well. For example, there's a scene where, you know, classic historical Ireland, we, you know, we all used to glued to the Late Late Show. And there's a Late Late Show, and we're watching the Late Late Show, and she's on the Late Late Show in like the 90s. And um, we have this, you know, diegetic sound of her on the late show and then we cut to a silhouette of a house at dusk in the countryside and we get the non-diegetic version of the late late show over the airwaves you know the same conversation and it just brought home the fact that this conversation was happening all over ireland and then the most powerful part of the documentary for me was you know towards the end of the third act all the voices of real women actual women Mm. you know using bad language uh, telling their stories talking about the flight, talking about the pain. And it wasn't, they weren't actors. You could tell these are not actors. These were real women who were recorded. Now, obviously they're anonymized. There's no pictures. It's, there's a montage, really good montage. And they have these real stories. And that for me was uh, a hammer blow. That was like impact. Mm. So I see what you're saying there, Gary, in terms of the depth, but there were other points where they got the depth right. If you, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. And it was probably just editorial decisions. And it's probably, you know, sometimes after, a festival like the Film Fla and the filmmakers gauge the audience's reaction, they kind of, they might restructure, especially it's easier to do with a documentary, they might restructure different scenes or they might say, look, we can lose that bit, it's not needed and so on before we kind of send it on to other distributors or other festivals and hopefully uh, secure a distributor. But in terms then of, I mean, we covered a lot of documentaries that were on the likes of Netflix where there's massive budgets in our previous series of just like in the movies as a documentary in terms of creative flair uh, where do you think this stands uh i don't think it had anything new to to bring to the table although i did like the the intercutting that that scene that dave was talking about that the montage with the with the voices that was very well done but like there was nothing new that would be like a new documentary style that they 
brought. It was just very well made, I thought. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you can you can buy a, a, a jumper in Duns and it'll have a neck, a waist and two sleeves. You know, it's pretty basic. But if it's well made, then it's a good jumper. And if it falls apart, it's a crap jumper. And this <laughs> is a good jumper. It's just a standard documentary. There's no magical camera work. There's no magical sound or music or um, any animations or anything that breaks it up. It's just pretty, you know, it's pretty standard. But having said that, it's a very serious subject matter. So you don't want to be embellishing the subject matter of, you know, a hugely divisive law, constitutional referendum on abortion in Ireland, very historical nerve, you know, with embellishments and with fanciness. So I think they did Mm. quite a good job of keeping it simple, you know, keep it. There was enough seriousness and reverence. Yeah, the message was clear. The message of the message wasn't, you know, people who voted no are bad and people who voted yes are good or anything like that. It was just kind of about the struggle. And we as a nation have grown and we have realized what's important and we made a good decision. And it showed the problems in the past. So it kept the message simple and it didn't embed over embed. It didn't over egg the pudding with things that it could like the DP could have said, hey, why don't we do this? But they didn't. They kept it simple and clean because the story of this event was bigger than any you know, creative flourishes, I thought. Definitely. The thing that really stood out for me in this documentary as well is from both sides, the power and twists and manipulation of persuading one's thinking with just a word. You know, mm, the yes. magic of just putting a word on a poster or in a campaign slogan or something like that, how it can suddenly change things. And I, I thought, although it followed the pro-choice campaigners, certainly more so than those who were pro-life, it still gave a certain balance when you got to hear the arguments from the pro-life campaigners and how just words here and there really can change one's opinion or mindset without them realising. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like Even the word repeal, like, there was loads of us walking around with t-shirts that said repeal. So repeal has this connotation of something that isn't right. Like, let's repeal it. Let's take it back because mm. we've realized it's not right. Whereas if we had T-shirts that said the word abolish, that has a negative connotation of we're not sure if it's right or wrong. Let's just abolish it. You see what I'm saying? So even the word yeah. repeal mm. was a good word to use. So the, there's a lot of smart, um, I was going to say smart people, but let's be honest, there's a lot of smart women behind this movement that created mm. the movement, that needed the movement. And of course, you know, uh, when you get a lot of smart women together, you know, they can do pretty much anything. So I thought it was a really well put together documentary. And I mean, I won't say I enjoyed it because it's a touchy subject and nobody, I don't think anybody wants abortions, but we've realized now that there is a need for them and we need to take care of our own people in our own country and look after women. And uh, it's it's an emotional thing. And we all have, most people I think would have a connection in some form or another uh, to a story. And um, it did certainly uh, hit home, for sure. An interesting choice, Lisa, for the opening movie of this year's Film Fly. Absolutely. It's, um, it seems to be kind of like a revolutionary kind of a, a, a vibe to it, maybe. So I don't know whether that represents the times that we're living in. I don't know. But, you know, it's, it was um, a very important thing that, to get made. And I think they did a very good job. Lisa, out of 10 for... The eighth? Definitely uh, an eight. An eight for sorry. the eighth. Okay. And Dave? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
as a documentary, it was, you know, no frills, straightforward, you know, as the subject matter dictated. So on that regard, I'm going to kind of give it a seven. But uh, because the subject matter, as Lisa said, it had to be said, I'm going to push it up to seven and a half. Uh, but it's certainly worth watching. And my only issue with the eight is like in terms of tone uh, for the opening of the fly, I usually expect something a bit more to lift me up rather than to kind of depress me and make me think about stuff that was hard to think about. You know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, mm. seven and a half for me. Excellent. Well, there you go. That is the eighth opening film of this year's Galway Film Fla. Next up, we're looking at the second movie to hit the screens last night. Only two movies shown so far last night, as is always the case in the opening night of the film Fla. And it is Poster Boys from writer, director and producer Dave Minogue, who featured on our first episode of our Galway Film Flash special earlier this week. And uh, for those who didn't hear that episode, it's basically Poster Boys tells the story of broke Al Clancy, who, with the help of his smart-ass kid nephew, steals a camper van and heads on a cross-country road trip to finally get his life together, certainly to try and get his life together. And an amazing bond between Al and his nephew, Carl, in the movie they're not uncle and nephew in real life but of course the guy who plays the nephew is the director's nephew in real life so there you go a little bit of movie trivia for you there uh dave what did you make of poster boys poster boys is again it's a very you know simple film you know straightforward it's a basic kind of road movie buddy movie down on his luck as you said it was interesting it had its moments i mean you can tell that these films are made on a shoestring budget and some of the actors are, you know, up and coming. Uh, it's their first, you know, it's their first time on screen. I think um, Trevor O'Connell, who plays the lead, I think this is his first role. Yeah, it, he's appeared in Fair City. Yeah, but he's he's quite good in this. And I mean, you know, the script is solid. Um, and I think, you know, they could have they could have fleshed it out more and they could have had more uh, blocking time and everything. But when you're on a, you know, tight budget and tight time frame, you do the best with what you got. And I think they've done well with what they had, what the, the tools at their disposal in terms of production budgets and timeframes and production design, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think Trevor O'Connell is actually, he, he's, a, he's a good actor, I have to say. And um, his nephew, played by uh, Ryan Minogue Lee, uh, mm. who plays Carl, he's actually a decent little actor as well. And I think they, they had a little bit of chemistry between them. Um, yeah. It's a nice, simple story. I mean, the story is... You know, the story is kind of, it's been done, right? You know, it's it's not exactly a, a new story. Like I was, after I after I saw it last night, I, I was thinking of another FLA opener, which was My Brothers from 2010, mm. written by my very good yeah. friend, Will Collins, which is a similar thing of, a, you know, a cr- cross, cross country, young lads coming of age kind of thing. It's a, it had a similar vibe, almost like a trope, you know, uh, but I enjoyed yeah. it. It was good. I think some of the uh, emotional key points were a little bit flat in terms of, you know, there's big swelling uh, strings and it's a big emotional thing. And and it's like this emotion really kind of, you know, didn't really come from anywhere. You know, it was kind of forced a little bit at times, I felt. Um, Mm. You know, the bit at the end where the Carl has, he gives out to his granny and his mother about why can't we be nice to each other? And then he's running down the road and it's a bit, you know, it's a bit... You know, he's, he's a kid having a tantrum Happy. around the road. We you know, we don't need... The, it's not as if he's about to go off and sell heroin and jump off, you know, out of an airplane. And then he goes to the bridge and, you know, it, it just felt a little bit forced. You know, a little mm. bit... It didn't build properly. You know, it, it kind yeah. of got there 
and you were like, how did we get here? That that's one. Mm. That's just one. Little, some of the emotional um, beats. That's what I'm looking for. Some of the emotional beats were a little bit off for me. I loved all all the cameos that were in it. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> yes. Every time someone turned up, I was like, how did they get this person as well? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And as yeah. you were saying, Dave. You know, it, I suppose it's always a hard thing when you're reviewing movies that are shown at the FLAB because you get to to meet the filmmakers. You may already know them and you know the horrors of trying to make it, uh, oh, yeah. the horrors that they have gone through, as opposed to watching something on Netflix that was over 100 million called, you know, something like Six Underground uh, with you Ryan know, Reynolds. That was honestly, a complete disaster <laughs> for the movie. Absolutely. Let me put it this way. <laughs> Poster Boys is worth five, six undergrounds. <laughs> take note. Take note. It's the thing of, okay, they, they had like a five, six week window from getting the script together, going into pre-production, scheduling it, shooting it, and wrapping it all up for the guy, Ryman Ogley, to go back to school in September. But you can't judge a movie at the same time on the limitations of budget and schedule and restrictions and all that. You have to just kind of judge it on the finished movie that it is so it's trying to get that balance but you know certainly i do agree with you on the emotional beats there were those moments that they just they didn't seem genuine but i thought the chemistry between the two of them as you also said worked on screen it it did seem very genuine and i just loved and you might agree with me here lisa how it was just a happy irish movie yeah, I was actually delighted at the surprise. Can you imagine my surprise watching an Irish movie and I'm not really depressed and I'm not thinking, oh my God, everyone's a criminal and everyone's from Dublin and everyone is a drug dealer. But hey, it was a happy movie. It had yeah. a happy ending. It like it had a really happy ending. Like for an Irish movie that was like that was like top notch for for happiness. So it was like a neat little package in the end. And I thought the kid stole the show. I thought he was great. I really despised the whole idea that the guy had to go around taking pictures in every shop around the country and and bring back the camera. And the kid was trying to explain to your to Joe Rooney at the start saying, but can't he just upload it and email it? And he was like, no, no, this is the way we do it. This is how we've always done it. And uh, I just thought it was like, oh, it's so irritating. But um, and then when they got um, robbed, I was so gutted. I was like, oh, no, you know, like everything gets destroyed. And I was like, oh, man. Um, but I just I thought the kid was really good. Um, I liked I just I liked the way, it, you know, it, it almost went like very dark and then it pulled itself back quickly, even though it was kind of a bit of a juxtaposition going that dark in the first place, because it was yeah. it was not kind of in keeping with the, the happy vibe that they had going on. Yeah, for a directorial debut as well, I have to say, I really admire Dave's pace that he gave to this movie. Quite a few times you'll notice with directorial debut, the one issue they have is getting the pace right throughout from start to finish. Whereas I just thought the pace of this was just, there was a lovely flow to it. You know, you got the Mm. breaks where you need it. You got the comedy, bang, 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 where you wanted it. You know, I really enjoyed it for that. Yeah, and there was a few, a few nice montages in it as well. And the the soundtrack is really good, and um, the scenery, know, the scenery is good. And I was like, oh, I know that road, and I know that corner, and I've been in that shop. And you know, that's nice because we spell, we all spend too much time on motorways now. But here's the thing: if I was, if I was to to buy this movie, I'd love to remake it with a bigger budget because I think. I think there's more in it, you know. I think there's more toothpaste in the tube, as it were, in this story. And um, 
my, as you know, I think as you said, Dave did a good job with. Well, Dave's always do a good job. Good, uh, good man, Dave. But <laughs> Dave did a good job with with the pacing in terms of the simple beats. But in terms of the emotional crescendo, I think he might have just ran out of time at the end of shooting to you know to get to get us to the same level. You know, when a big and emotional thing happens in a movie that really grabs you. You're there, you know, when Jack is hanging off the edge of the Titanic and he's like, don't let go, Rose. And she says, I'll never let go. You know, we're all there. We, we're like, Jesus, Jack, hold on. You know, we're there. Mm. And when the emotional crescendo in this film came, I wasn't really there. You know, I felt like, OK, what's, you know, it was a bit too quick for me. Um, but I think overall they did well. And I, I have to say, I, Joe Rooney did a lovely cameo. Keith Duffy yeah. did a lovely cameo. Bobby Kerr so. needs to go back to his accountant <laughs> and never set foot in front of a camera again in his life unless he's saying, I'm out. Because, no offence, Bobby, you're a nice man and you're good in the Dragon's Den, but stick right. to the Dragon's Den. <laughs> he funded the movie, though, so maybe that's... Well, that's obvious he funded the movie. And they gave him a part, but... He should have just funded the movie and stayed at home. <laughs> he's like, he's up there with Quentin Tarantino in, in Django Unchained. It's perfect, perfect movie. And then bang, a cameo that makes you go, what the hell is going on here? Um, Like even the child, uh, Ryan Minogue Lee was kind of, he was a bit staccato when he was in that scene with Bobby Kerr. And then he walks out and he's back to normal with Trevor O'Connell because yeah. Trevor's an actor. And Ian, Fle- Ian, Ian Dempsey was good at the beginning as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I actually thought... Uh, Amy Hughes, who played the teacher as well, Miss Hughes. I thought she was ex- excellent as well. I thought she just she was. Uh, she she just hit she, the tone. She wasn't perfectly. like a real teacher though. She was definitely not. There was no Irish teacher who would ever behave with the kids like that. I don't. I, I that I know of. Yeah. yeah, I thought she was actually quite good. And, and I mean, as the little bit after the fact love interest, it was a nice little little aside. It wasn't forced. Mm. It was just a nice little mm. thing. And the way they even they, they even a little moment of flirting and it was just nice at the scenes. And yeah. she's actually quite a good actress as well, I have to say. Yeah. And I completely get the whole idea of, you know, someone winning a holiday to go to Barcelona or whatever for a weekend or a week and literally just trying to get rid of the kids ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in lockdown in, since March with two kids, the idea <laughs> of just getting away for one night even is just heaven paradise uh, Aaron and Robin if you're listening daddy loves you don't worry and we won't let him go on holidays without you ever I promise <laughs> so Dave out of 10 for poster boys out of 10 I'm going to be generous and I'm going to give it 6 because the story is good and the acting is good uh, but I'm just pulling it down a little bit because I wish I wish that the money people in the world would take their money away from Michael Bay and give it to people like Dave Minogue, who could probably and hopefully will do much better things in the future. If he Not that money makes a difference, but Dave Minogue and the rest of the people who worked on this film have talent. They just need yeah. some financial support to showcase their talents a bit more. So I'm pulling it down for that because of the accountants. And I'm going to give it six out of ten. But and fun the, movie the, and watch it. There's an organization as well in this country that would be no harm for a spotlight to be shone on every so often when this is brought up as a topic. Uh, Lisa, out of 10. I too am going to give it a 6 out of 10, Gary, because I thought it was a very sweet, happy movie. And uh, yeah, so I'm only just bringing it down for, you know, financial reasons also. But uh, yeah, 6 out of 10. 
Okay, well, it's a busy day at the FLA, so uh, head over to the website, galwayfilmfla.com, to see the full schedule. But at 12, you have the My Extraordinary Summer with Tess. Uh, World Shorts Program 1, and of course, it is a big year for shorts in the Galway Film FLA. The Film FLA has become that platform now to actually for people to hold off and wait for it so they can actually have their short film screened at the Galway Film FLA. So there's always a great array of shorts being screened at the FLA. So the shorts kick off as well today. And then there's the documentary biography tomorrow is Saturday. Uh, there's In Touch, which is another doc. Uh, more shorts again later on this evening. And Nocturnal then would be one of the big movies, which screens at nine o'clock tonight. But to secure tickets to watch whatever you want to see online and to see the full schedule, head over to the website, galwayfilmflad.com. Lisa Tracy, thank you as always. You're very welcome, Gary Kelly. And thank you, Dave Coyne. Pleasure as always, Gary. Thanks. Now, back to the computers. <laughs> Let's get some popcorn <laughs> popping in the microwave. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye.